2: From KQED. This pandemic has exposed so many disparities, so many cracks in the system. On today's show, people with disabilities speak out about the rage they're feeling right now and the worry that in this crisis, their lives are considered less valuable than
3: others. People see me, you know, with my wheelchair, with my ventilator on. You know, some people just straight up feel like that kind of life is a life not worth living.
2: For decades, people in the disability rights movement have forged a path when it comes to advocating for equality and creating safety nets of support for one another.
4: This is one of the ways in which we contribute to society. We show people that even as we keep going, they have to keep going
2: in this time when so many of us are living in a virtual space. We'll also hear how teachers are adapting technologies so their students with disabilities can keep learning. I'm Sasha Coca and this is the California Report Magazine. Your state, your stories. For a lot of disabled folks, getting access to emergency services like a food pantry or drive through coronavirus testing can be hard. Some people rely on caregivers to get them to appointments or have conditions that make it dangerous to leave their homes. And for a lot of autistic people, like Hector Ramirez, losing that daily routine can be disarming. Our intern, Ariella Markowitz, checked in with Hector to find out what it's been like sheltering in place and creating new routines.
4: So this is me doing something on the weekend. (laughs) I decided to put together a little flyer for some of my neighbors. It
5: It was late in March when Californians were starting to panic about coronavirus, and Hector Ramirez posted this video on YouTube.
4: And so with everybody just kind of hoarding and panicking right now, they really made things a lot more difficult for some of the people who are most vulnerable right now, which is our seniors and our disabled.
5: Hector has a round, expressive face and really kind eyes. He's 45, and he lives with his mom in a rent-controlled mobile home park in Chatsworth in the San Fernando Valley. Most of his neighbors are elderly and disabled, so he posted flyers on folks' doors, asking them to reach out if they needed food delivered.
4: That's what I'm doing. You know, (laughs) instead of panicking, which I am. But this is kind of how I'm working with my anxiety.
5: Hector says he doesn't like feeling helpless. Before the pandemic, he often volunteered at his neighborhood food pantry. He's on the board of directors for the National Disability Rights Network and for Disability Rights California. But now, his work is focused on the people around him. Many of his neighbors responded to his flyers, saying they couldn't get to the grocery store. So he's delivering meals to them.
4: That's what I'm doing to take care of my family, and my community, in solidarity, people. Yes, in solidarity
5: hector has autism and he's hard of hearing for him routine is really important he has these rituals that are comforting to him he loves taking his service dog on two walks every day
4: i, I had to say hello to people and i have like a certain number like 30 people i have to say hello and, uh, and so when I'm walking around, I do that with my neighbors. So everybody thinks that I'm really sociable, but I'm actually very introverted. I'm actually really shy.
5: But now because of social distancing, there's no one to say hi to on those walks.
4: So I've just had to really make new routines um, and you know, really kind of just hold to those things and remember my cultural values of respect and elder and community. And uh, you know, just holding on to those things in every way that I
5: can. Instead, he waves to his neighbors out the window, and he leaves peanut butter outside at night for skunks. He says the animals represent humility in his indigenous culture. He says sheltering in place weirdly reminds him of his childhood, growing up in Camarillo State Mental Hospital in Ventura County. He was sent there when he was four, but when Hector was 14, he was able to transition back to living with his family and Hector and his mom are living together, navigating their relationship in close quarters.
4: We've ridden a roller coaster of emotions and moods. There's days and times where we both cope with it really good, and there's times where we both really struggle, and we can lose our tempers.
5: He says even though their relationship can be strained, he's grateful they get to have time together, time that was taken away from him as a kid.
4: There's so many people that are, are mourning, uh, you know, losses right now. Um, and so I, I, I have to be mindful and respectful of that, you know, while trying to deal with my anxiety.
5: Hector says the disabled community is often left behind when it comes to disasters. pg and power shutoffs, wildfires. But for his whole adult life, Hector worked as an activist, lobbying for better access and social safety nets for people with disabilities.
4: This is one of the ways in which we contribute to society. We show people that even as we keep going, they have to keep going.
5: Recently, Hector went to downtown LA to be tested for COVID-19. He told me that on the way to the bus stop, he was anxious, but then he saw eagles flying above his house. He posted a video to Twitter and wrote, I take it as a very important sign for my ancestors to keep going and be safe.
4: I don't know how to make eagle sounds. All I know how to do is talk to crows.
5: Hector had been feeling sick, and he wanted to know if he had the virus. And a few days later, his COVID-19 test came back negative. For him, it's a sign to keep helping people. For the California Report, I'm Ariela Markowitz in LA.
3: I hear a yeah. bird. 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 I hear a bird, bird, too.
2: That's 19-year-old Leo Rosa taking a walk with his mom, Shannon. Here
3: you go. Here you go. We're not bad. We're
6: not, not bad.
2: Leo is autistic.
6: Where are we going to sit,
2: Leo? We're going to sit on the... He talks, but he doesn't hold conversations. His family and caregivers assist him throughout the day.
6: So we're going to go sit on
2: the... on the bench. Like for Hector Ramirez, the change in routine these last couple months has been really hard for Leo. Transitions are difficult and they can even be traumatic. His mom, Shannon, says it's hard for Leo to understand how to socially distance properly. He also can't go to the cafes and movie theaters he likes
6: anymore. And we've just gotten into the habit as we did from the beginning to say that I'm sorry it's closed reassuring him that we wish it was open too but it's not because creating any kind of uncertainty for him is another form of torture he needs to know concretely that this is the case it's not open and we can't go I'm so sorry I know it sucks
2: but Shannon says so far Leo's handling everything
6: pretty well he by nature is a very sweet and amenable
2: human being Uh, which he gets from his father. Full disclosure, Leo's dad, Craig, works in the science department at KQED, where we produce the California Report. Shannon runs a website called Thinking Person's Guide to Autism, and she says one of the biggest challenges for Leo these days, face masks.
6: He physically is incapable of wearing a face mask. The sensory aspect of him, which is common for a lot of other autistic people, because I've talked to a lot of my autistic friends and colleagues about this, is that having a mask over your face can feel like suffocation. And in my son's case, I think just the feeling of something over his face is unbearable.
2: Leo's got a note from his doctor explaining why he can't wear a mask in public.
6: You know, this is a greater good banding together, all in it together situation. And we're doing our best to protect him and to protect other people.
2: Shannon says that means the family's in overdrive when it comes to social distancing and disinfecting. Hand washing, using hand sanitizer when they go out for a walk. Those safety measures have become Leo's new routine. And now we're going to hear from another activist in California's disability rights community. Alice Wong hosts the podcast Disability Visibility from her home in San Francisco. She uses a wheelchair and a ventilator and says there's a lot about the response to the COVID-19 pandemic that's been really upsetting to her.
3: It just burns me up the way people are so kind of ready to be over the pandemic and I don't think we're anywhere close to it. And see, so many people go outside and really, like, absolutely not social distancing, not wearing masks. They're going to actually create more infections and, uh, you know, subsequently more deaths. They're still advising high-risk people like myself, to stay at home. And I feel like this sets up this very, I think, unfair dynamic where the burden of staying safe and healthy falls upon those who are the most marginalized and the most impacted.
2: You recently wrote a piece for Vox called I'm Disabled and I Need a Ventilator to Live. Am I expendable during this pandemic? And, you know, you talked about this notion that if there's got to be medical rationing, that some people are considered more disposable,
3: more invisible. Any sort of calculus about who's the most worthy often take into account issues about quality of life. I do know that people see me you know, with my wheelchair, with my ventilator on, and they just can't imagine living this way. You know, some people just straight up feel like that kind of life is a life not worth living. These kinds of attitudes end up really excluding and discriminating against folks like me. One thing that's really distressing to me is people living in dirty homes and other long-term care facilities that are dying and, uh, and infected with uh, COVID-19. It's so troubling to see people so ready to get the economy jump started and just uh, you know, relaxing everything while so many people are dying uh, behind closed doors. And I don't understand why there isn't more outrage over these deaths because, you know, these uh, systems, these institutions that exist are broken. And this is a real important time to think about, to rethink about why these systems exist and uh, to really question them.
2: Feel to know that a lot of the critiques that disabled people have made for decades, you know, about accessibility, remote access, are you know being heard in this time because they're being made by able-bodied
3: people. Yeah, I think it's a uh, it's bittersweet. I think it's wonderful that people are suddenly realizing, oh, you know, I'm working from home should be more flexible or learning from home and realizing this and uh, seeing how access really does benefit everyone. But I also feel uh, some concern and also some irritation that disabled people have been advocating for this almost after 30 years after the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. These kinds of adaptations should absolutely remain and become part of the defaults.
2: I want to ask you about how social distancing has affected life for folks who rely on caregivers and how caregiving might look different as we
3: come out of this pandemic. For a lot of us, like myself, you know, it's basically impossible to social distance and isolate ourselves. And, you know, just speaking for myself, you know, I can't get out of bed without help if I'm infected or if my worker is infected, um, you know, there's really no way to protect myself from exposure. So, you know, I want the people who help me to have all the protections, all the equipment, and everything they need. This is a workforce that's under the category of essential workers, but they truly are not valued in our society in terms of caregiving or care work. So many of the workers are women of color or immigrants, and I'd like to see an increase in wages and benefits for this workforce. Uh, and also, I think, uh access to protective care for anyone that does this kind of work. And family caregivers, too.
2: Alice, what's it like to be recording your podcast right now? And, and what are you hearing from your listeners about what they want to hear right now?
3: We really need more stories and perspectives by the people who are most impacted by the, this pandemic. For example, Black disabled, uh, you know, chronically ill folks, because, you know, we can't separate, you know, the racism and uh, the ableism and classism from this experience. This wasn't the first crisis disabled folks face. We learn how to do with living in a world that's, you know, rather hostile and never designed for us in the first place. I think um, the future could look so different. You know, I think so much of what's happening during the pandemic and the flaws and the structures and systems we have are. Basically, a failure of imagination is a matter of a culture shift and, uh, you know, political will.
2: Alice Wong's new book, Disability Visibility, First-Person Stories from the 21st Century, comes out next month. The pandemic has exposed so many ways people with disabilities are especially vulnerable to isolation or cut off because they can't access tools that keep them connected and engaged. A few days ago was Global Accessibility Awareness Day. The idea is to get folks thinking about digital access and inclusion and people with different disabilities. KQED's Julia McAvoy brings us the story now of an educator in Sonoma County who works with kids who are visually impaired. He's been getting creative about making sure his students can keep learning.
1: Here's how Neil McKenzie turned his garage into a tactile production center. When word went out Friday, March 13th, that schools were shutting down starting that Monday, Neil remembers just kind of freezing in place in his office.
0: So what can I do? What's like the most important thing? It's so overwhelming, you almost have to just focus on one thing.
1: Neil works with visually impaired students from kindergarten all the way to high school age. So what he focused on were the machines, the ones that can print out the assignments and instructions in Braille.
0: We were talking about kids who really just need that Braille, and they need that tactile reference. There's really no stand-in for that.
1: So Neil sprang into action.
0: I was able to go back to our office for I think I had half an hour
1: and he started moving these large machines into his small compact car. They now sit in his garage along a wall in between the car and his laundry machines.
0: So now we're gonna walk over to my left because I can't go the other way because the cars are blocking it. And we are walking up to my 3D printer, which is also going. And you can also hear (laughs) the washer and dryer. So, this place gets pretty noisy.
1: Neil is what's called an assistive technology specialist for the Sonoma County Office of Education. So, he's the guy who helps students learn how to use tech solutions to accelerate their learning and participate in class. So, when schools shut, Neil knew he had limited time to instruct his visually impaired students on how to navigate this new tool everyone was suddenly using to hold their virtual classrooms called Zoom.
0: Because some of them were like, oh, in three days, I'm having my first Zoom class and we're going to get going. And I'm absolutely worried about it because some of these things haven't been tested. You know, a lot of these programs, I'd say one out of three aren't accessible to some of our students.
1: Neil's been working with the Sonoma County Schools for 11 years now. He kind of fell into it, if you can believe that. He was working construction during the Great Recession in 2008, and he was out of work. So he started volunteering to help visually impaired students and got hooked. And that is how he met Mario Chitwood.
0: I met him in third grade.
1: Mario's in high school now. While other teachers see students come and go, Neil keeps working with students like Mario through their entire time in the district.
0: He loves bad jokes. (laughs) I like this one. I waited and stayed up all night and tried to figure out where the sun was. Then it dawned on me.
1: Uh, Yeah, you get the idea.
0: He's just a great guy to be around. He makes people around him happy.
1: But it was the assistive technology that really connected these two. They loved finding anything that could make Mario's life more interesting or make him more independent.
0: We just began to bond over finding new things. And I pushed him to, like, teach me. We pushed each other really
1: After Mario's family lost their entire home in the massive 2017 Tubbs fire, it was Neil who helped Mario get a new computer designed for the visually impaired, a pricey one called a Polaris. And it's Neil who's been delivering braille materials printed out from the machines in his garage right to Mario's doorstep during the entire time of this pandemic.
0: Because right now the math that I'm doing, it has to do a lot with visuals. So he prints out like Diagrams, and I can then get the same information that a sighted person would get.
1: It's been two long months since school campuses closed. And Neil says things are getting a little better. As far as Zoom goes, he did manage to get his students what they need to translate their screen into Braille. He's still just trying to run slightly ahead of classroom teachers to make sure his students get the tech they need.
0: Trying to make sure that They're not left behind with this remote learning.
1: So Neil continues to problem solve. He's just set up another mini factory in a Braille teacher's garage. So she, too, can print and deliver materials to students. For the California Report, I'm Julia McAvoy in Sonoma County.
7: are behaving, like if they're agitated, like there's, you know, other bees trying to get in the hive, or if it's too crowded, or they're too hot, or too cold, um, the volume goes up.
2: That's Ariel Gilbert. She's been blind for 30 years, and she's a beekeeper in Petaluma in Marin County. We first brought you her story last fall as part of a collaboration with Sam Harnett and Chris Hoff from the podcast, The World According to Sound. They wanted to learn how Ariel tended her bees using senses beyond sight.
7: You'll hear bzzz, bzz, bzz, bzz. and it, it bzzz, and it's different patterns depending on how far, and, uh, but it, it's very
2: distinct. Ariel had worked as a nurse, and she lost her vision suddenly after using eye drops that had been tampered with. She says at first she was in total despair. About six months later, that despair reached a breaking point.
7: I made the decision, no more feeling sorry for myself, no more hiding, no more being afraid. A lot of it for me was about the transformation and moving on and getting accustomed to a whole new life. It's like getting jettisoned to another planet.
2: Over time, Ariel worked hard to regain so many things she felt she'd lost in her life. And started using sound to get back to the hobby that she'd so loved as a kid, beekeeping. When we first aired her story last October, Ariel was quite sick. Years ago, she donated a kidney to a friend. Her friend recovered, but the surgery didn't go very well for Ariel. It triggered a kidney disease. A lot of you, our listeners, were moved by Ariel's story. Some of you wanted to see if you were a match as a kidney donor. We called her up this week to see how she's doing. Turns out last winter, someone Ariel knows was a match and offered to donate his kidney
7: to her. Yeah, it's really remarkable, especially knowing what I've been through as a donor. (laughs) You know, it wasn't the easy, successful donation (laughs) that normally happens, and he knows this and still willing to do it.
2: Her transplant was scheduled for this spring, and even before COVID, Ariel had already been sheltering in place for months, trying to avoid getting sick. Her kidney disease compromises her immune system.
7: You know, I kept pinning my hopes on, OK, I event, mean, this is going to happen, you know, March, April. This is, you know, I, I just need to endure until then.
2: With coronavirus, the transplant department at her hospital stopped all surgeries, not wanting to put patients like Ariel at risk. Now she has to wait until at least September.
7: And it's like, okay, well, readjust. Now I need to endure till, <laughs> till September. I just came in from two hours working with my bees. This time of year, it's very busy. There's a lot to do with them. And I uh, got a few stings and. <laughs>
2: look for sam harnett and chris hoff's documentary about ariel gilbert and more stories about folks with disabilities and the pandemic on our website californiareport.org Before we go, we want to take a moment to note the passing of Stacey Milburn-Park. She was an advocate, an activist, and one of the founders of the Disability Justice Culture Club, an activist gathering space for disabled people of color. During the pandemic, they've been spearheading mutual aid efforts, including making hand sanitizer to distribute to homeless encampments. Stacy's death is a huge loss for California's disability rights community. And that's the California Report Magazine for this week. Our show is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our senior editor is Victoria Maleon. Amanda Font is our director. Our technical producer is Rob Spate. We had additional engineering from Seal Muller and Katie McMurrin. Our team also includes Ariella Markowitz. Special thanks this week to Allie Cannington. I'm Sasha Coca. This is the California
7: Report Magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems, and HINT, fruit-infused water, and over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories. In stores or delivered from drinkhint.com.
1: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book.